Hey, this is Gary Parish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's Monday, February 9th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined uh, by Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. Lots and lots of stuff to get to. We're going to get to it, but it uh, would seem wrong on some level to start with anything other than the news of the weekend, specifically that former North Carolina coach Dean Smith died late Saturday at his home in Chapel Hill. He was 83 years old. He, uh, Won 179 games, made 11 Final Fours, won two national titles. He was a member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, the FIBA Hall of Fame, the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame, and the College Basketball Hall of Fame. Coach Michael Jordan, Phil Ford, James Worthy. Uh, more recently, he had battled severe memory loss because of dementia and had not made a, a public appearance in, in several years, didn't attend a ceremony in November 2013 where uh, President Obama awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and, and now he's gone, leaving behind a, a massive legacy inside and outside of basketball. Matt Norlander, I want to start with you. Strictly in terms of basketball, uh, what's Dean Smith's basketball legacy? What impact did he did he really have on the sport? Um, uh, Pretty massive, actually. Uh, you know, I, I did a post on the site. When he when he died, uh, when I found out he died, I definitely thought about the fact that Dean Smith actually has connections to the very beginning of the sport of basketball, and will kind of forever be linked to it um, because he he uh, he played under Fog Allen, you know, famous Kansas coach, and 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 so Dean Smith has won person removed from Dr. James Naismith, who Alan, you know, <laughs> was a pupil of, and Naismith, of course, invented the game. Okay, so that, that dates back to that part of the timeline. And then Dean Smith basically, for all intents and purposes, was the very first coach to recognize and implement in by ways of scouting and game plans, in-game strategy, the notion that the number of possessions you use really dictates and shows how good your team is. So he is the father of tempo-free basketball from a coaching perspective, and that's a facet of the game that will never, ever go away. Um, so to me, that's the really amazing thing about Dean Smith is that his impact on the game, um, while it also has touched so many just ridiculous figures, I did a a post on that. I mean, the people that he either coached with, coached, uh, played for, or really, you know, had coaching rivalries with is uh, a purely outstanding. Um, and like, even like small things that are, I think, not well known or forgotten. Like, he did win a gold medal yeah. with the United States team in 76. And that was the Montreal games, and that was very much um, becoming a, a turbulent time, uh, <laughs> especially coming off of 72, uh, the very famous Olympics where in the, the American team has never picked up their silver medals uh, after the controversial ending against the Soviets. So um, there's, in terms of basketball, uh, Dean obviously is just uh, a titan in that regard, and I was pretty um happy to see a lot of people realize that I, I i you know not that people weren't aware that dean smith was one of the greats of all time but i think a lot of people were educated on the fact of just like okay 
no, no, seriously, in terms of hoops and off the court stuff, this is what Dean Smith did. And it's pretty much uh, one of the most remarkable lives of impact of, of any college basketball coach ever. I think, I think that's true. And, and you touched on it. Like, like Sunday was a, a, a weird day because you first have, I don't know if shock's the right word, because anybody close to Coach Smith understood um, you know, what he had been dealing with and that the end was probably not too far away. But still, you don't necessarily, from a distance, know that the end's going to be Saturday night, that the end's going to be this weekend. And so the news is announced Sunday morning. And for lack of a better word, you have this first like shock sets in, like, wow, you know, Dean Smith died. And, and so that's sad uh, because he was such a respected and beloved figure. But the byproduct of it is that it you know, we really did spend a day, sports fans, and certainly a younger generation of sports fans, learning about Dean Smith. And if there's anything neat about, you know, a moment like that, it's that uh, people become more educated on on what this man actually stood for uh, and accomplished, both on and off the court. And the off the court stuff is, to me, on some level, even more interesting. He fought for civil rights. He uh, protested the Vietnam War, the proliferation of nuclear weapons, uh, the death penalty. He integrated restaurants and a neighborhood and uh, the North Carolina Athletic Department. He enrolled, of course, Charlie Scott, who was uh, the first African-American scholarship player at North Carolina. There's a great story also about, I think it was in 1998, uh, so it was right after he retired, um, he went to a clemency hearing uh, for a death row inmate and told the governor at the time, a man named Jim Hunt, right to his face, like, you're a murderer. The death penalty makes us all murderers. I mean, to to have a, a, a basketball coach take these sorts of very public stands is, is, is fascinating and seems almost unimaginable in the year 2015. Like, Dean Smith had a massive impact in basketball. You detail that. But his impact outside of basketball was maybe more in, important. He, he quite literally changed part of the segregated South. And you know, never stayed in his so-called lane and uh, realized he could use his position of influence to uh, help create a, a better place. And, and I'm curious, Sam, do, do you think there's any comparable coach in college athletics right now? Like, does anybody really speak out on social issues? I honestly, like I was trying to think about it yesterday, I honestly can't think of anybody. I mean, I, I know, you know, people will raise money for, you know, Haiti after an earthquake. I get all that. But like, is there are there any college coaches in any sport, any any sport that that where you you your voice actually matters, who stands up on controversial social issues or political issues and actually says something worthwhile? I can't think of any. Yeah, I don't think there are either. I mean, you, you look at Smith's impact. Like there was another story yesterday about how even like in 1958 when he was an assistant, he. You know, he like went and sat down in this restaurant with an African-American guy and he he was just trying to get things desegregated then, even when he was an assistant that, you know, might or may like may or may not have been recognizable throughout the city of Chapel Hill. But he was recognizable enough to where he knew it would make an impact. And after that, he said, like, you should never be proud of doing what's right. You should do what's right. Just do it. And that, that's like one of the more incredible quotes that I could hear, like that any anyone could really even say in a situation like that, in my opinion. And yeah, there's not really anyone that even like comes close, in my opinion, now. Yeah. Everyone's very, very, very 
to by the book. Very you're right. not you're not going to get you're not going to get guys that are going to really stand up for social issues like often like a lot of guys accept them. Right. Like I think we saw that with the Michael Sam thing in the NFL last year and with in uh, college sports at the end of his career. But you know, like I I don't think that beyond acceptance we're really getting a lot of people that stand up and make an effort and really uh stand up and really get their opinions out there and really try and make an impact no i mean like i mean i'm trying to think of the issues that that could um present opportunities to do that if you wanted to so we had only there's only one uh, there's only one as of late we actually talked about it on the podcast in the preseason and that's when shusheski spoke out against obama and him not putting boots on the ground in the middle east remember that yeah that's yeah, yeah. Like, you know, but that's, was that taking a so, or was that just that, like Obama bashing? Right, exactly. It's it's a different thing, but it's the only yeah. thing remotely even close right. that I can think of. And we've had some really, you know, um, the, the, the Trayvon Martin. Um, we've had Ferguson, and those are opportunities for if you felt a certain way. And just trust me, there has to be college coaches who felt a certain way, if only because there's millions of Americans who felt a certain way. And yet nobody, to my knowledge, like stood up and really said anything important. The last one I can actually remember, um, you remember Pat Kelsey after Sandy Hook? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I remember him like using his press conference. It was after they had played, I want to say Ohio State, but it could have been anybody. I think uh, that's actually right. Okay, yeah, yeah but it was um, a power conference school, and it was right after, um, you know, the, another school shooting, and, and just a gut wrenching scene. These these babies being slaughtered, and you know, Pat Kelsey, you know, you, he he actually said, I, "I don't know how often I'll be in front of a microphone in front of this many people, but we have to do something." You know, as a country, we have to we have to do something, and I I, I was fascinated by that. Um, that, that he felt, first off, not fascinated that he felt that way. I, Jesus Christ, how could you not feel that way? But um, but that he he actually decided, I'm going to try to use whatever voice I have to, to make a point. And if I've got to go back to Sandy Hook and Pat Kelsey to think of a college coach, like really saying something, impo- trying to say something important about about a, a controversial or or big issue, like that's that's kind of pathetic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, th- I want to, you know, the Georgetown players war, I can't yeah. read shirts. I think John Thompson, the third might've said, or maybe it was his dad. I can't remember which one. If it was his dad, it was no shock. Cause actually John Thompson is, uh, pretty much right up there with Dean Smith in terms of, um, societal and cultural issues and just not giving a damn about, you know, what people think of his opinion and speaking out. Um, but after that, I think he said something to the effect of, you know, this is college. It's more than just playing sports. It's about expanding and growing your mind. Um, yeah, and and the thing that Sam mentioned that to me is is really remarkable about Dean is the fact that it was the late 50s. Obviously, none of us were alive. We can't even fully comprehend what it was like to be um, in, the, in America at that point. And, of course, we'll never really fully understand um being a a black person in america period but at that point and for dean smith who was pretty much a no name i mean sam i'd go as far as to say that you know at that at that time carolina basketball i'm sure it had some you know small local pride but it wasn't anything i mean dean Mm -hmm. made the program so he was just you know a local assistant basketball coach at the college and here he was 
late 50s, you know, the, the civil rights movement had not truly hit steam at that point. Um, to me, that's the most remarkable thing. And the other thing that surprised me, just to kind of twist the Dean thing, Dean Smith thing, is w- when he died, I went and looked up the um, the all times Winslayers because I thought, well, Wooden Wooden died. And I was like, is Dean Smith really the only other like big time coach that's that's basically died since the mid nineties? We've got first of all, John Wooden is fifty fifth on the all time list of men's. Win- winners, which is beyond shocking. I would have thought he would have been top thirty. Uh, well, but he, he, well, he didn't, you know, he didn't coach long. Exactly, and- he didn't coach long. He, he people forget that he kind of retired early out of nowhere, and seasons were so much shorter. Right. Um, but That's what the other I'm thing. like when is- I was a kid, coaches would brag about twenty win seasons. Like I, oh, you know, the twenty win season. I can remember. I don't even know if this was ever true, but just as a kid watching college basketball, it was like if you get to twenty wins, you're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Like that was sort of an accepted. Thing. And now, if you if you win twenty games, yeah. it means you you lost sixteen, probably. You know. Well, yeah, and that's actually one of Dean Smith's greatest accomplishments. That right now, a lot of people might not um, emphasize enough, but for twenty seven straight years, he won twenty or more games in a time when you were basically playing twenty five to twenty eight games a season. Um, so that's just flat out remarkable. Great. Um, but uh, to the greater point, I'm just. I guess I'm happy the fact that we still have so many coaching legends still alive. I mean, I don't want to get too macabre here, but I guess Tarkanian's probably going to be the next one because he also oh, wow. is predicting deaths, out. predicting deaths on the podcast. I'm not gonna, <laughs> we're not going to be opening up death pools or anything like that. Sam, you got like, you, okay? So but, so Tark's off the board. Sam, who you got next? I don't know who's who's on no, the list. Matt. Listen, it's good that listen, like you know, Jashevsky, Bayheim. Knight, Calhoun, Sutton, Lefty Giselle, Lute Olson, Lute Henson, I mean, you know, Huggins, all these guys, Norm Stewart, these guys are still kind of kicking John Chaney. Um, so we still have so many living legends in the game, and I guess I wasn't really fully aware of that until Dean died. Um, and it kind of made me think, you know, I don't know if, if that's really true of, of really any other sport. I mean, obviously, like, you know, Henry Iba, Adolph Rupp, Fog Allen, kind of those big ones have, have passed on. But there are a lot of guys near the top of the wins list that are still going, and that's a great thing. All right, let's talk some basketball, actual basketball. Uh, on the court, the big story of the weekend, Virginia beat Louisville but lost Justin Anderson. Hand injury, surgery yesterday. Um, Going to be out four to six weeks. That's the official timeline. Probably not back if that is accurate, um, at least until the ACC tournament. Uh, Norlander, Virginia still get a one seed without him? Oh, no. Uh, probably not. Listen, now is the time for Malcolm Brogdon to live up to that preseason Sam Vecini hype. Um, Virginia will still be okay. Um, I think they'll be okay overall. Um, that's actually the way Tony Bennett kind of schemes his guys. They're, they're almost built to be able to take on a loss like this, but I, I still think that, uh, they're probably going to end up with a two, uh, without having him, Hitting a major stretch in conference play, every coach knows that you know the back half of February is usually the toughest because guys are anxious to get to March, but you're still playing really good quality opponents in conference that know you, and you don't want them to get into this rut where they might you know just not take opponents as seriously enough as they should, and then you get picked off and lose a game or two that you shouldn't. Not necessarily saying the Cavs are going to hit a three-game losing skid, but I do think they're going to lose one or maybe two games they otherwise wouldn't have without Justin Anderson, who's been, you know, a, t- a top 10 player, you could say maybe even top five-ish yep. player this year, sure. considering what he's done. 
Yeah, I mean, okay. Like I looked at the schedules, Sam. Yeah, they, they've got. That's what I think. Yeah, there ain't, there's not much there. I mean, they got they're one fine. more road game against the, the, a likely the, NCAA tournament team. I don't even know if that's true about NC State anymore. Like they're they're well, they what, got, like, well, they got to go to Louisville. Fourteen and ten. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. On March seventh, though, and yeah. I think there's a chance he'll be back by then. Well, I mean, so, according like, to timeline, if it's literally four weeks at the earliest, then yeah, that's March eighth. So, but 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 certainly, uh, we've seen people come back early. He could be back March seventh, even if it, you know, it could whatever. Like they they might right. only have one road I, game left yeah. against the likely NCAA yeah. tournament team. I, I'm I'm going under the I'm I'm saying they're not going to get a one seed because I think he'll actually miss the ACC. If it's four to six weeks, I'm just saying I'm. I don't think they'll win the ACC tournament, and that will prevent them from getting the one. Here's the thing, though: if they go, even if they lose two of these games, they go twenty-seven and three. Right? Are you going to hold them out with that? Like, with that's that my thing. Their resume that, is so strong right now. Yeah, like they're they're going to win the ACC outright. Yep. They're going to have that non-conference schedule at twenty-seven and three, even if you lose to NC State this week and lose at Louisville, because they have Wake Forest, Pitt. Florida State, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, Syracuse. Like, that's an easy, easy stretch that probably lends itself to going, you lose, I think they're probably only going to lose one of those games, but even say they lose two, that's still 27-3, and that's still 15-3 and in conference, that's still an incredible non-conference slate, and you say 27, let's say 28-4, and they win a game and lose a game in the ACC tournament. That's still a top four resume. That's still absolutely a top four resume. I, I don't see any way that they don't get a one unless right. they really, unless they really like go into the tank right. offensively. But I don't think that's going to happen either. either. Anderson's yeah. really, really good. He really he, like his gravitational pull of the defense with the way that he can uh, stretch the floor and space the floor for the rest of their guys is really, really important. But they, like Matt said, they're kind of built to take on something like this. I'd expect guys like. Marielle Shayok and Evan Nolte to be able to step up a little bit, and then the rest of the guys on the off, in the uh, starting lineup will be able to step up a little bit. I think they're they're not fine, but they're going to be able to get through this easier stretch of their schedule. All right, let's let's relatively let's, unscathed. Let's just quick quick hit on their on who's going to be fighting for this. Then uh, Kentucky, like an automatic for Clearly. sure. Yeah, uh, Gonzaga is definitely on track. Um, Wisconsin, that's three. Nova is still in the picture. Duke is still in the picture. And I mean, do you want to say Kansas is in the picture? Arizona, yeah, I mean, Kansas, this- Kansas is going to be in the picture because they're probably going to be Big Twelve champs, and their RPI is going to be ridiculous. RPI is going to be ridiculous. They're at four losses right now, uh, but Temple's their worst loss. They're probably Temple. Temple can make the tournament. Arizona took on a bad loss. Arizona would probably Arizona have... has three sub seventy five RPI losses. Yeah, Nobody now... in the top ten has more than one. Yeah. Arizona's gonna have to run the table and get help. So I would actually wow, I mean I I can't believe it, but I think we kinda have to, unless they run the table. And now they're not gonna do that because they're gonna lose at Utah. I, I would think they're gonna lose at Utah. They're gonna lose at least one more game. So Arizona's out. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind I'll of tell you the one seeds. It's Kentucky. It'll be Kentucky, Virginia, Gonzaga, Wisconsin. That's probably going to be it. Um, yeah, and I by agree. the way, like I'm sure Mark Few's more than fine with it, but it almost feels like we're just not really giving 
24 and 1 Gonzaga who lost in overtime and probably should not have lost at Arizona enough credit and this is really turning into a, a heck of a season for that team. I mean they they are ranked second in the country uh, even though I don't <laughs> I don't think they should be ranked second in the country. I think they Virginia no. should be two and they should be three but uh, they're tremendous. Like every time I'm doing some radio show somewhere now, you know, Gonzaga comes up and they go, "Well, you know, are they really Yes, this this team's good. They're good enough. They're good enough to do the whole thing. I don't know that they will. Um, yeah. Because I don't, you know, you, it's a single elimination tournament. Who knows? But they are good enough, I think, to to not only make the Final Four, they're good enough to do the whole thing. So we'll see. Hey, yep. uh, you mentioned Kentucky. For the first time this season now, uh, Ken Palm's math suggests that uh, UK's more likely than not to enter the SEC tournament with a perfect record. Um, this is the result of Saturday night's win at Florida. Gators played well, uh, but Billy Donovan actually went in on his team afterward. Basically said this is the first time he's felt like his team... Um, has really played all season. First time they've actually played to win. Uh, Sam, we've talked about this before, but I'm curious. I, I know you watched the game. Florida's now 500 in the SEC. Um, it's the first time they've been 500 in the league this late in the season since 2008. Do you have a theory for why they have struggled other than the obvious, which is the players aren't aren't good enough? I look. This is wild to me. So if you go back and look at the class of 2013 rankings, Mm-hmm. Uh, composite rankings, 247 sports, the top nine players in the country in that class, seven of them, <laughs> oh, seven of them are already in the NBA. They were one and done uh, products, seven of yep. them. The other two are Casey Hill and Chris Walker. Where were the Harrison twins on that? They were... Were they like 10 and 11? Yeah, like right after that. I, I want to say 10's Dakari Johnson. Oh, no, no, no. Um, yeah, 10's Dakari. I can look it up real quick. I think 10's Dakari Johnson, actually. And I, I guess the Harrisons were after that. Interesting. Yeah. Well, regardless, though, I think that's it. You have, you have Casey Hill and Chris Walker who aren't giving you anything. And then their recruiting class this year, Devin Robinson's been okay. Um, they, they just lost a lot. Like you, They lost five legitimately huge pieces off of a Final Four team in Casey Prather, Scotty Welbekin, Patrick Young, uh, Will You Get? And then, oh, maybe it was only four, but like still, they, were, they sure. lost an insane amount from that team. They lost basically all of their, I don't know about all of their scoring, but they lost probably 90% of their scoring. Like it's really, really, really hard to come up with that and really, really fix that in a single season. Right. And let me interrupt you real quick. Okay. So I had it wrong. Okay. It's, it's one was Wiggins NBA run two was Randall NBA three was Gordon NBA four was Jabari NBA. Then it's Harrison and Harrison. So five Mm -hmm. and six are starters for the number one team in the country. Uh, yeah. Then there's Walker and Hill at seven and eight. Nine's James Young, ten Nikari Johnson, eleven Noah Vonley, twelve Jarrell Martin, uh, thirteen Wayne Selden, fourteen Joel Embiid, fifteen Rondé Hollis Jefferson. So basically, of uh, the top fifteen guys, they've all been awesome or at least highly relevant college basketball players, players except for the two who happened to enroll at Florida. And if if, when you're counting on two top 10 kids as sophomores and they're not great or even good, they're not even good, especially Walker. That's a very reasonable thing to count on. Like you would expect those two to be very, very good at this point. And I don't know like what's going on. I don't know what people saw in Chris Walker at this point. Like I saw the same thing. He was an incredible athlete. He looked great in the McDonald's All-American game. He looked good like in any sort of high school tape that I saw him in. But here's the thing. He played in a really, really, really small classification of high school basketball so 
we didn't really I guess we didn't really know what to expect of him. And he, it doesn't look like he's improved at all no. since that since that date. I mean, he, he looks totally lost when he's on the floor. He looks lost. Yeah. And it's oh, almost like how Kelly Oubre, like remember how early in the year you know, Oubre looked like a guy who had just got by his whole life on on uh, size and athleticism. And yeah. and he looked lost on the court. Like I was in Orlando with Kansas. He looked lost on the court, but he figured it yep. out. Chris Walker is, you know, now a full Walker year into it. Year and a half. Yeah. yeah. He hasn't figured it out at all. And I had Sean Farnham on the uh, podcast several weeks ago. He does the SEC games for ESPN now. And he, so we were talking about Chris Walker and he said he had an interesting conversation with Billy uh, Donovan in the preseason about Walker. And Billy told Sean that he had set Chris Walker down, you know, after preseason workouts, but, but well before the games. And just said, okay, like you need to understand what's about to happen, um, because people are going to, re- you know, people are going to recognize you're not as good as they think. You know, I, I'm looking at the mock drafts, I'm looking at, you know, a top 100 list of college basketball players, and you're all over these things. And how are you going to be able to deal with it when, when, when everybody, when the whole country realizes you're not as good as they think you are? And that I thought that was an interesting point that Billy made. He was almost preparing him for um, for a disappointing season because he saw this coming. And what you would hope is that, a that conversation would motivate and and motivate somebody in a in a remarkable way, or um, that this type of season you know would would motivate him in a remarkable way because he has um, he's fallen off everywhere. Like I, I don't I don't think he's draftable right now. And this is a no. guy, and it's just. Uh, on some level, it's sad. I mean, because this is a kid who, if you know anything about his background, it ain't like my background, and it ain't like yours, and it ain't like Norlander's. I mean, he's he has on some level been been counted on for years to 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 be the you know the payday for a lot of people, and it ain't it doesn't look like it's going to happen right now, and that must be an immense amount of pressure for a twenty year old. The idea that you people have been telling you you're going to be a multi millionaire forever, yeah. and now. Um, it ain't happening. Like I, 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 if the light goes on at some point, great. But right now, uh, that seems like a world away. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. I, I will absolutely be rooting for Chris Walker for like ever, just because of the way he was brought up sure. and he had a really, really difficult run of it from the time he was really, really young until the time he was like 18 or 17. And now he's, now he's not very good at basketball and it sucks. And I, I don't know if it's like he, maybe he needs a change of scenery. Maybe he, maybe he just needs to go to the D league or something. And he needs to have someone get someone like figure out what's going on with him. Someone different that isn't Billy Donovan. I guess, like, I just don't know. I, I don't think that that would be great for him, Yeah, but maybe it's just, maybe he's just one of those guys that isn't receptive to Billy Donovan. Maybe he could transfer somewhere else. I don't like, I don't know what to like. Yeah, no, I hear you. Like, point. It's just like, it's clear. It's not coming on at Florida. It's not uh, working, but like to yeah. run away from the guy who like, had Joe Kim Noah and, and Al Horford and like, Oh no, it doesn't seem smart. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. He, like who's been better with, with bigs in, you know, the past 10 years than, than Billy. And, you know, for whatever reason, this one just doesn't happen. Like I can see it at another program almost like if you're a top 10 recruit and by the way, at another program, like the coach would be getting killed over this. 
you have to have two top 10 recruits as sophomores. Like, you don't even get them as sophomores, typically. Like, you have a top 10 recruit, they ain't becoming sophomores. And But you get them as, a, as sophomores, and they haven't developed at all? Like, if this were going on in different programs, like, Billy would be questioned, but you can't really question Billy about developing players because, my God, I mean, look at all the players he's developed and, and put into that league. But it is a, it's a weird and rare um, it situation. It's a little bit like what I said about Ubre early. I, like, I'm not, I wasn't commenting on whether Kelly Oubre should have been playing more in November or or playing less in November or if he was – just that when you are rated where Kelly Oubre was rated coming out of high school, to not – to spend the first, you know, uh, 10 games of your freshman season buried on a bench is a pretty rare thing. It is a rare thing for, for a top 10 recruit um, to, to, to have that role early in his freshman year. Same thing here. I, I don't know what the deal is. I just know it is a rare thing to have top 10 recruits as sophomores be completely mediocre players. Yeah, and here's the other thing with Walker, too. It it doesn't seem like it's a thing where he wasted this offseason. Like, he got into considerably better shape sure. this offseason. Like, he put on a lot of weight. He looks much stronger. He looks much bigger, just a lot more ready to, like, bang in the post and a lot more ready to be that guy that was ready. But the skill just isn't there. Like, he... I don't know if it, I mean, part of it does look like he doesn't really understand where he needs to be on the court. And that's part of it. But like even laterally, athletically, like the explosiveness in game doesn't look like it's there, like compared to what you would see in high school or what what we saw in the McDonald's All-American game, what we saw in these all-star games, like it just doesn't look there. Like it it looks like it's evaporated. And as far as Casey Hill goes, I, I still have some like Hill hasn't been as bad as Walker to where. No, not at all. Think that he's like, he might be a lost cause at Florida. Like he'll, he'll's been decent. He'll might be able to turn it on next year. And honestly, like I, I might say that Casey Hill should be on our top 100 list next year. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, let's be like, clear. He hasn't been terrible by yeah, me. Yeah, no, like, let's be clear. Chris Walker has been terrible. Casey Hill has been fine. Just not fine. Not relative top to fine. Not yeah, top right. 10 high school prospect. Fine. He hasn't been fine relative to where he was ranked uh, coming out of high school. Um, Norlander, uh, what's Fran McCaffrey's problem? <laughs> man, oh man. Jesus you know, Christ. we're recording this here on Monday morning, and uh, as we're recording it, the Big Ten's having its weekly conference call, and a reporter had uh, passed along that McCaffrey this morning had said, you know, okay, so Adam Woodbury has poked, you know, one of his players, McCaffrey's players, has poked an opponent's eye three times this season. I can't give him the benefit of the doubt, especially because he got he got mellow Trimble on Sunday. And when you watch the play, I mean, Trimble's got the ball below his waist. He mm. hasn't yet driven to the hoop. And Woodbury, just out of nowhere, brings up his hand and gets him square in the eye. And so McCaffrey, yesterday, after the game, was asked, you know, what's, what's the deal here? You know, is, is the league going to review? And he had a... Uh, he called it basically an unintelligent question to be asking about Woodbury's eye pokes, I guess. And then this morning, he's making a big – he's like, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. Well, dude, like can we point out any other player that's ever poked an opponent in the eye three times over the course of maybe three weeks or so? That's my thing. Like I, I'm not here yeah. to tell you it's it's um, intentional or uh, an accident. I don't know. Like I can't get into the, to Adam Woodbury's head. But I can tell you this. I watch a, a lot of basketball. I don't see other people poking dudes in the eyes like this. Yeah, it does. It does. It, it just doesn't happen. So I, you know, I don't know what if if it's some sort of sub 
subliminal kind of thing that Woodbury is doing this. But uh, but I brought up the transcript from your tweet, Gary, and uh, and the and the reporter basically was, "What did you hear from the officials regarding the Adam?" You know, touching the guy in the eye or whatever it was, and McCaffrey's like, "They said it, they poked him in the eye," and he's like, "Well, it's a flagrant now." Thought maybe they explained it, and he and McCaffrey goes, "Don't misconstrue it. That's an excellent crew, but on that one, I don't know." And then the final question is, "That's three times though. Why does he keep asking?" He goes, "Next question, ask an intelligent question." And the reporter asked, "Why is that not an intelligent question?" He goes, "Because I said so." Yeah. Here's the thing. That's a okay? bad. But first off, if you simply yeah. just answer the question with even a little bit of I don't quite know I'm going to talk to Adam then we're not even talking about this on a podcast right he might not even be asked it on the Monday morning Big 10 teleconference call and people aren't you know tweeting along his quotes it's becoming a bigger thing because McCaffrey seems to not want to address the fact that this is something of a pattern and both you know Woodbury's got a rep now McCaffrey's got a rep attached to this because of it, and it's not a good look, specifically because McCaffrey's a coach that, yes, he's a, he is a quality coach, but he also has some behavior of his own in the past where he's <laughs> been extremely volatile during games, and people will connect those two actions and, and start to look at him and his program as something that's a, a little bit dirty and certainly unlikable. So it's not a great approach from France. Yeah, no, that's my thing. First off, to act, it's a perfectly reasonable question. Hey, what is yeah. going on with, with dude poking people in the eyes? Particularly because it's it has become a bit of a regional, if not national, controversy in the small world of college basketball, at least. Right. Um, so, like, it's a perfectly reasonable question to ask. It's a question that should be asked, frankly. Um, and, and so you just handle it like a decent dude. You just say... Um, nobody's going to convince me that Adam Woodbury's out there poking people in the eyes intentionally, right? I don't care what anybody says. That is not what he's doing. But clearly, like, it's happened three times now, and we got to look at it. I'm going to sit down and talk to him. We got to figure this thing out because um, I, I don't like talking about it, and I, I don't like to see it happening. And it, and it's also – it can – it could cause a serious injury. So you want to paint Adam Woodbury as a bad guy? Then then you're a bad guy. But – Clearly, we we, we got to sit down and figure this out. Like the, the people just applaud you if you say that, but when you try to be uh, combative and and dismissive of somebody who's asking a very reasonable question, then you look like you know you you choose the word. I don't think we're allowed to cuss on the podcast anymore, but uh, you look like a cuss word, a lot of cuss words. It's just a bad look. I don't I don't get yeah. the idea that you could be offended by somebody asking the question of why is your your player poking people in the eyes on the regular like that's crazy that's that's you look stupid for calling that a stupid question it's not a stupid question but you just made yourself look stupid with with, without a doubt you know what this is like it's like uh it's like suarez and is is is, is iowa gonna get to the ncaa tournament and woodbury in like the the first round gonna poke something dude in the eye some dude why don't we? Why and then, don't we, and then it's going to be like a, a a big time deal with. I mean, if that he can't do it again, like if it happens again, pure accident or not, I mean, suspension is going to have to come. You can't keep doing it. And, that, that, and I cannot stress this enough. Nobody else does it. So so you've done it three times all on accident, which again it might just be all on accident. But you've done it three times on all, and I can't think of anybody else who's done it at all. Right. Like, like I, I watch. I sat home this weekend and watched basketball basically from morning to through night. I didn't see anybody mm-hmm. else poke anybody in the eye. Adam Woodbury, I saw, and he's done it now three times. So maybe it is just something that he's doing 
and, and it's leading to that accidentally. But it is something that he's doing. And for Fran to sit, you know, I, I just thought it was... And he, like, he, I mean, the, the, what doesn't help Woodbury's case is that, you know, one of these three incidents were when, like, he kind of, like, caressed Frank Comiskey's head, right? Yeah. And then he got him yeah. in the eye. Right, yeah, no. really weird. Really, really weird. Yeah, it's just a, when it happened, Kaminsky was like, "Bruh, right? Come on!" Because that was the second <laughs> time that it happened in that game, um, and that was about two, maybe three weeks ago tops that this happened. So yeah. it's just a weird pattern, and yeah, the way it's McCaffrey a weird pattern. And like, if somebody wants to come out and say Adam Woodbury's the worst dude in the world, like I, I, that, that's taking it too far. I don't. I never met him, and and I'm not sitting here trying to tell you who did it intentionally. All I'm saying is that if you're the head coach. And this has already been a deal, and it happens again on a Sunday on the Big Ten Network. Then it is not a stupid question for somebody to ask you. And if you're the head coach of that team, you should answer it like, like a, a decent dude. You should sit there and acknowledge that I, I understand why you're asking that question, and I'm just going to stand like the perfect thing to say. Adam Wilberry's not doing this on purpose. Anybody who suggests he is is wrong. But this has become a deal. I'm a, I, you know, I'm watching it just like you are. We we don't see people get poked in the eyes regularly, and yet for whatever reason, it's happened with him three times now. And we got to sit down and look at this. Like I got to talk to him. We got to figure out why this is happening, and we're going to figure out why this is happening because it's 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 um it's it's painting him in a, in a way that's uh, unfavorable, and it it could in a worst case scenario cause a serious injury. So, um, yeah. I don't know why it's happening, but but I do know it is happening, and we're going to sit down and look at it uh, just as soon as we get out of here or tomorrow. Like, th- no issue. Nobody has a problem if you say that. Nobody's nobody's clowning you. Now, you know, you're all over Twitter, Fran is. Deadspin's making posts about the Iowa coach, which is only, Deadspin's only going to make posts about the Iowa basketball coach if he, you know, kicks a chair yeah. or snaps at a reporter. It's just a bad look. I don't know why, Fran's a smart guy. I don't know why he's smart enough not to understand this. Yeah, uh, yep. he's he's just oddly headstrong in this regard. Oddly, oddly, oddly. All right, uh, let's get out of here. We got some good games the next few nights. Oklahoma State is at Baylor. That's tonight. Then Kentucky at LSU on Tuesday. The Wildcats at any risk, Norlander Sam, any risk uh, in Baton Rouge on Tuesday night? This is. Uh, I think one. that Matt has a higher opinion of LSU than I do, so I'll let I'm, him. I'm uh, falling off it though, man. I, 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 you know, I, I. I LSU and Texas were the ones I think I was most wrong about. But this is the last – to me, this is the last one. If Kentucky gets by LSU, um, and I guess mm-hmm. I'm leaning that they will. Uh, but LSU has a big front line. Like, th- this should be a challenge. I mean, if, if LSU was ever going to get up for the game of its life, it has to be this one, okay? This has been a very underperforming team. But if Kentucky does get by the Bayou Bengals – I'm not seeing how they get to the SEC tournament with a loss. Yeah, I think Sam, that they're going to get that regular season undefeated streak. Sam, you don't think they're they're at risk? Um, I don't. I think that Kentucky basically does what LSU does, just better than LSU does. Sure. So, I, like, I think that's just going to be the problem, and LSU is going to be a little bit overmatched. Like, even Martin and Mickey are a little bit undersized for being like incredibly effective forwards like they are. So I think that just the length of size is going to be a problem and they don't shoot the three well enough. I don't think to really stay in this game, but I do think that Georgia does. And there's a road game uh, sitting there on March 3rd where Kentucky has to go to Georgia and JJ Frazier, uh, Kenny Gaines, guys like that. They can get hot and 
maybe make that a game, I think. I, I wouldn't be surprised, at least, if that happened and that was the case. The, homie, the, homie, horns, the homie Hornsby can shoot it. Um, he's it. <laughs> yeah, no. no I, listen, like, I don't. I don't like thirty-one percent from three or something this year. I think. Yeah, no. Kentucky, Kentucky should uh, should win the game. I think Kentucky will win the game. Um, I, I would say this though: Martin and Mickey are at the very least like Kentucky caliber players. You know, like they yeah. could theoretically no, they be on that are. roster. And most teams in the SEC don't have players that could theoretically be on Kentucky's roster. Uh, Martin and Mickey could. So that's one thing. Secondly, and this would be the only thing that I would be worried about if I were Cal is. Um, like you just played this high profile, you know, road game in an in crazy environment and like had to really, really play, you know, for, for 38 minutes and to then have to turn around and, and walk into something similar, you know, three nights later, that could, I think, be, be difficult. But still, you're looking for a prediction. Uh, Kentucky wins and Kentucky does inner selection Sunday uh, with a perfect record. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands uh, on the latest edition. So make sure to do that. And uh, I will talk to you again on Wednesday. Take care.